Well, let's find, uh, again, Mark chapter 1, and we're just going to read one verse. I'll come back to it, and it's a little bit unusual for me to read just one verse, but we're going to build everything on uh, Mark 1, verse 13. Actually, let's, let's get a running start at verse 12. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness. Of course, this is at the beginning of, of his public ministry. At once the Spirit sent Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan with the wild animals, and angels attended him. So on the one hand, he's being tempted by Satan. On the other hand, he's being attended by angels. I remember my daddy using the word haint and haints. Haint was his sand mountain word for ghouls and goblins and ghosts and things that go bump in the night. Well, Rick Bragg, one of my favorite writers, tells a story about haints in his book, The Best Cook in the World, which is mainly about his mom. His mother's maiden name was Margaret Bundrum. And one day in 1952, one evening, to be exact, in 1952, her cousin Buck Bundrum stole his daddy's car and came up and came and picked up his cousin Margaret, Rick Bragg's mom. They were teenagers. And they drove uh, to Mill Branch, which is down in Calhoun County, where I'm from. They didn't know it. Buck didn't know it when he stole his daddy's car, but his daddy had passed out and was stretched across the back seat of the car. <laughs> so they drove to Mill Branch just uh, for the fun of it. Remember, it was at night. But when they stopped, when the car stopped, Buck's father, who was passed out in the back seat, woke up and he sat up and he saw where they are and he screamed, Oh no, not here! The haint, the haint, he'll come for us. Get away from here. So they sped away. Years later, Margaret Bundrum, now Margaret Bundrum Bragg, told her son that story and told him the background. Decades earlier, an ancestor of the Bundrums, Jimmy Jim, isn't that a great name? Jimmy Jim Bundrum had killed a man, a drifter, had murdered a drifter in the very woods around Mill Branch. And according to the Bundrum folklore, the legends the Bundrums shared around the table, the ghost of that uh, murdered wanderer still wandered the woods around Mill Branch down there in Calhoun County, and they thought maybe even the guilty, tormented soul of Jimmy Jim Bundrum himself still feeling guilty for having killed that poor wanderer that his spirit too wandered the woods around Mill Branch. And Margaret Bundrum Bragg said to her son, Rick, I never went back there after dark. Because if you believe in the Lord, if you believe in his goodness and his mercy and his miracles, then you got to believe in them old demons too, don't you? Well, Ms. Bragg, I do believe in the Lord and his goodness and his mercy and his miracles. I don't believe there was a haint in the woods around Mill Branch that night. But I do believe in, in them old demons. 
Today is Halloween, of course, so we're talking about demons and angels and things that go bump in the night. Now, I know that there's some Christians who don't celebrate Halloween out of a matter of conviction, and there are churches who discourage their members from participating in Halloween because of its connection to, to the occult, to the dark world, to dark forces, and all that. And I, I understand that. In fact, um, Haley Bieber, who is the wife She's a model and she's the wife of the pop singer Justin Bieber said, and this is the first time I've ever quoted Haley Bieber in a sermon. But two years ago, this Halloween, Haley Bieber tweeted about Halloween and she is a Christian and she tweeted that Christians should just get over ourselves and enjoy Halloween. And in fact, uh, she said on this tweet, I am claiming all candy for the glory of God. (laughs) That's not exactly a profound theological statement, but she's claiming all candy for the glory of God. Well, whatever your feelings about Haley Bieber or Justin Bieber or candy corn for the Mississippi State fans or whatever your position on Halloween... Maybe we can agree that today is a good day for us to talk about real demons and real angels. Let's talk first about demons. Somebody sent me an email with, um, uh, the attachment was letters, supposedly real letters that children had written to their uh, pastors. And one of those letters was from a 10-year-old girl named Carla And the letter read like this, Dear Pastor, are there any devils on earth? I think there may be one in my class. (laughs) And that's probably the way we think about demons and devils, either a mischievous person or maybe a fairy tale character. But there really is something out there. There really is something evil and the dark, the hurt and the hate in our world, the violence and the abuse in our world is not just random and impersonal. There is a a malevolent designer. There is a, a diabolical mastermind. There is a a sinister puppeteer pulling the strings behind the hate and the hurt and the violence and the abuse in our world. There really is something out there. Think about, about corrupt governments around the world. Think about unethical business cultures. That's not just random. That's not just happenstance. There is a There's a malevolent designer, a diabolical mastermind, a sinister puppeteer behind those cultures and governments that that take advantage of people and hurt people. The division and hatred in our society is not just random and impersonal or coincidental. There is a diabolical mastermind there is, a, there is a sinister puppeteer pulling the strings behind the division and hatred in our, 
our country. And I'm not talking about Republicans or Democrats. I'm talking about the evil one known in the Bible by a number of names, Lucifer, Beelzebub, the accuser, Satan, the devil. The racial and social tensions and unfairness in our world, our country, are not just random and impersonal. There is a malevolent designer, a diabolical mastermind, a a sinister puppeteer behind it. Think about the drift in our country away from Jesus. With every passing year, there are fewer and fewer people, Americans, who even check Christian on a survey. That's not happenstance. There is a There's a malevolent designer, a diabolical mastermind, a sinister puppeteer behind the drift of our culture away from Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 8 reads, your enemy, the devil, prowls around seeking whom he may devour. Now, how the devil prowls is a mystery. He is not omnipresent like God is. Maybe it is through his mafia-like army of demons around the world. I don't know how he prowls. This is mystery. But he does seek, as we sang a while ago, he does seek to do us woe. He is on the prowl. He attacks us individually to ruin our individual lives. He attacks us systemically to to discredit, to, to, to ruin our society, our culture. And yet we do not have to be overwhelmed by him. I don't want to be simplistic, but the Bible offers two pretty simple strategies for not being overwhelmed by the evil one. Number one, resist him. James 4, 6, resist the devil and he will, 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a commercial out, a Geico commercial that makes fun of horror movies. And there are four teenagers. It makes fun of how irrational characters in movie horror movies act and so they're four teenagers they're out at this haunted farm and and um, so there's a car that's running and with well, a teenage girl says why don't we get in the running car and the guy says are you crazy and we're thinking of course you would get in the running car but not in a horror movie he says are you crazy let's go hide in the barn and they go hide in the barn and that's where all the chainsaws are hanging and the chainsaw killer is standing behind them and he takes his masks off mask off and rolls his eyes like what knuckleheads would come into here where the chainsaws are. So James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't run into the barn. Don't don't put yourself in harm's way. Don't don't make yourself easy. Pray for the evil one. Stay out of those situations, those places and times, those those roles, those places where you, you will be easy prey. So resist the devil. Just don't run into the barn. The second one is is simply to make sure that you're in in the safety of God's fold, in the safety of God's family through faith in Jesus. In Ephesians 6, the Bible talks about the, uh, the very real, though unseen battle for our minds and our souls. And it uses a figure of speech in verse 17, Ephesians 6, 17, take the helmet of salvation, the most important piece of equipment for someone on the battlefield, the most important piece of equipment for someone on the football field is the helmet. So take the helmet of salvation, which is a metaphor of speaking of our making sure we're in the safety of the fold, making sure that we've had that 
that experience, that conversion so beautiful, so dramatic that Jesus said it's like being born again. So make sure that your hope, that your trust is not in your own goodness, but in the Lord Jesus. We sang a moment ago, Martin Luther, let me quote a few of those words again. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ, Jesus it is he, Lord Sabaoth, meaning the armies of heaven. The Lord of the armies of heaven is his name. From age to age the same, and he must win the battle. There is something out there. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to lie awake at night. We don't have to look for demons everywhere if we will resist the devil. And we'll make sure that our, our trust is not in our own goodness, but in the Lord Jesus. Now let's talk about something a little more uplifting. Let's talk about angels. Angels figure prominently in the Bible, of course. Angels figure prominently in the Christmas story where angels announce the the upcoming birth of the Messiah to Mary and Joseph and then announce the birth of the Messiah to the shepherds on the hills outside Bethlehem. An angel figures prominently in the Easter story when the women go on Sunday morning to see uh, the body of Jesus and they get there and there's an angel, the Bible says, that has an appearance as like lightning and a robe as white as snow, who is the first to say, he is risen, that he is not here. In Daniel 6, the angel shut the hungry mouth of the mouths of the lions encircling Daniel. In Acts 5, an angel swings open the prison door where Paul and Silas are imprisoned for their faith. In Acts 27, an angel appears to Paul in, in the quarters of a ship being tossed on the Mediterranean Sea by a storm so fierce they all thought they'd die. And the angel says to Paul, don't be afraid. You and all your friends on board are going to be okay. In Revelation 5, God pulls, pulls the curtain back just for a moment to give John a glimpse into heaven. And he says, I saw many angels. I saw, he said, myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands declaring, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Angels figure prominently in the Bible. But are there still angels on earth? Billy Graham, in his book titled Angels, tells the story of John G. and Mary Ann Payton, missionaries to a remote island in the South Pacific. The people of the island, the inhabitants of the island, did not welcome the missionaries, did not welcome the Christian faith. They were resistant to the Christian faith. And one night, some of them showed up with the intent uh, to kill John and uh, Mary Ann Payton. John and Mary Ann alone inside prayed, prayed all night that God would spare their lives. With the coming of the dawn, the Paytons looked out and that those folks who'd come to obviously do them harm had left. Years later, after lots of seeds had been sown, a lot of people on that island became Christians, including the tribe of the people who had come that night to do harm to the Paytons. And John Payton asked the chief, sir, why did, when you came that night with all those people, why didn't you kill us? Why did you leave? And the chief answered with a question, who were all those men 
There were no there were no men, Peyton said. Oh, we saw them, the chief told him. Hundreds of them uh, with their swords drawn. Had God summoned the angels for the protection of the Peytons? It sounds a little bit like it sounds a little bit like he did. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I won't speculate about mysteries I don't understand, but I believe there are angels around us. Now to our text, back to our text. Mark 1, 13, Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, And the angels were ministering to him. Sounds a little bit like our lives, does it not? In the wilderness, in a dog-eat-dog world, in a world that is cruel and mean and hard. With an unseen battle raging around us. With demons who would do us harm. And the powers of God himself who would protect us. And it is, the, it is in that unseen world that our greatest danger lies and that our greatest hope lies. In that unseen world. John Hunt settled, of course, over there in what is now Big Spring Park by the Big Spring. When he settled there in 1805, there were lots of local Inhabitants, Native Americans, Indians who didn't want him here. He, he knew that. He knew that he was in danger from them. But that was not his greatest fear. He was afraid to go to the spring. Where we go now, we just walk right up. He was afraid to go to the spring to get his water. Not because of the Native Americans who were here who didn't want him here. It was because of something he could not see. He was afraid to go to the spring because of what he said were countless rattlesnakes. They lived up in the crevices of those rocks. He was afraid not of what he could see, but what he could not see. And he figured out that a different kind of defense or warfare, if you will, would be necessary for that which he could not see, those slithery, slimy serpents, the rattlesnakes. So he took a cane pole and in the hollow end of one of the cane poles, he, uh, that cane pole, he'd, he put gunpowder and he'd stick it in the crevices of those rocks and he would ignite the powder. And he said after several weeks, uh, the rattlesnakes were gone and he was able to get his water from the spring. Our greatest danger is not what we can see, but that which we cannot. And there's a different kind of Warfare, if you will, necessary for the world that we cannot see. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms is the world we cannot see. It is a world invisible to the human eye, undetectable by human senses, but every bit as real as the unseen air that you and I 
are breathing. And in that unseen world, there are battles between the destructive hatred of the evil one and the redemptive love of God. And nothing less than your future and mine is at stake. One of my favorite stories from the Old Testament, Elisha and his assistant, his servant, woke up one morning to find themselves surrounded by armies of enemies who had come to do them harm. And his assistant, his associate, his servant, Elisha's servant was frightened. Elisha was calm. And Elisha, seeking to calm his servant, said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And his servant said something in Hebrew that translates loosely, are you kidding me? And Elisha smiled. And he turned his eyes toward heaven and he prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And God pulled back that curtain temporarily. And and Elisha's servant saw that that the armies surrounded them were themselves surrounded by angels with chariots and horses of fire. If we could only see, if we could only see what is going on in the heavenly realms, the, the invisible world around us, I believe we'd be more frightened than we are And I believe we'd be more hopeful than we are. For all the while, there's this this cosmic, epic, invisible battle between those who would do us woe and those who would would do us good. And the the only way we get to participate in that unseen world is to pray is to pray that God will summon his angels for people you love and for yourself. It's like those kids in the lie in the witch in the wardrobe. The only way they got into that secret world was through that magic wardrobe. We, it's like, prayers like entering through that magic wardrobe into an unseen world when we pray that God will act on our behalf. Now, all this is mystery. I know it's mystery beyond my understanding. There is something I understand that I want to close with. It is from Romans 8. Shelley mentioned it a moment ago and read it, but please hear this. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither or anything else in the creation, all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I want to do this. I'm going to say that in phrases. And I want you to repeat it after me. But when we get to us, we're going to say me. All right. Again, all the rest is mystery. This we know. If you'll repeat after me, I am convinced convinced that neither death nor life, neither neither angels angels, nor demons, demons, neither the present nor the future, future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is good news on Halloween.